Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. I am so glad you've joined me for this series of conversations with my dear friend, Christina Wanzelak. You may know Christina from her book, The Lost Years, her work on TLC's groundbreaking show, Addicted, or her television docuseries, Codependent, which premiered on Lifetime and A&E. Christina is credited with helping thousands of addicts and their families through her work as an international interventionist and now joins me in a series of conversations about life, recovery, and coffee. Welcome to Coffee with Christina. So anyway, yeah. So how were your holidays? Oh, thanks for asking. You know, they were really great. I actually, I think I have kind of like post-holiday blues a little bit. Like Mm -hmm. it was so great to have my kids home and to be able to be around family again. I feel like it's been a long time, you know, with COVID and you know, it's just been a long time that we've been able to gather and we gather, you know, 30 of us come together. Oh, wow. Yes. And these same 30 people, you know, we've been celebrating the holidays as long as I can remember before I can remember since I was like two, you know, so long and dear family friends and then all their kids. And now all of us kids have our own kids. So, you know, it's just (laughs) expanded from, whatever my parents started at, you know, eight people to 30. So, um, and it was just so great to be together. Was it in Um, your area or did you have? Yeah, yeah, it was hosted at my brother's house. So, you know, beautiful home. And then we all cooked together and, uh, you know, just, it just was so great to be together. Like feeds the soul, right? Absolutely. We still kept ours small um, just because, just the circumstances in our family, but we did have a beautiful celebration. And I'm hoping that this next summer, we're still keeping our holidays small this year, but I'm hoping next summer I can, I have a huge amount of brothers and sisters and I would like to organize something where we can, we haven't all been together in a really, really long time. Right, I know. Yeah, we're going to wait till the warm weather, but yeah. So that's nice though. That's wonderful. And we have wonderful news. Um, I'm going to, we're going to be having another baby in our family so oh that's so exciting that's so exciting exciting. I love babies yeah so that's super I'm I'm super jazzed about that so I'm really glad I don't have any (laughs) yeah it's not me (laughs) but I um I love little babies oh that's so great congratulations thank you yeah I just uh yeah no it's definitely definitely not me but um yeah so it's 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 wonderful I love the the little ones are so fun and um, especially when you don't have to you know uh pay for braces (laughs) and college and exactly um you know the other thing I love about Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays I I feel continually I've been sober 28 years and I Mm -hmm. and I know you've been sober even longer than that but I just can you know just so grateful every holiday I'm sober that I'm clean and sober and awake and aware and I started uh Thanksgiving day at a meeting you know I do I found my recovery in 12-step room so you know to to be in a meeting with like-minded people it's just a beautiful way to live life 
I did the same thing. It's it's funny. I and I feel the same way. I started the day off with a meeting and just really plugging into that gratitude. You know, gratitude is such a powerful um, defense against self-pity and all the other things that take us down the wrong mind, you know, rabbit hole. So I think it's just such a great practice. In fact, you know, I have a journal that I've kept for years and it, um, I started early in my recovery, just writing out 10 things I'm grateful for. And I've added to that over the years, I have a whole practice around it. But the, the, when I do that, the days that I miss that or skip that or only put one or two things on there and I have a hard time, that's actually a clue to me that I'm off if I can't think of anything to be grateful for. But what the days that I take the time to get in touch with what I'm grateful for, and then how do I want to express that gratitude in the world? So it's not just a gratitude, it's how do I show that? How do I practice that gratitude in the world? When I do that, I have good days. And when I don't do that, it, it's not as good. So, I yeah. love that you say that because I think gratitude is really, uh, I think gratitude is like a verb, right? It's about action. And I, I think it, yeah, I think we live gratitude. We don't just list gratitude. Yes. We live gratitude in, in our lives. At least that's been my I don't think theory is the right word, but, you know, my experience and, and commitment and journey is how do I, how do I practice gratitude? And, and it's so not I love only, that you said that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And I, I, when on the days that I can do that and do that, which is most of the time when I do that, I have a good day. And when I, when I can't get in touch with that, it's a big sign to me that I'm out of alignment with spirit. I'm out of alignment with others. So I work at that. Um, and it's just a great tool. So I'm glad that, you know, and it's fun because that's the prayer that I have at Thanksgiving isn't some, you know, I'm not a big praying like out loud. I don't know a lot of prayer type of things other than the ones I've learned in the rooms, but the, um, to, to express gratitude, I'm grateful for um, verbally is also very powerful, especially when you're with other people celebrating abundance. We live in a very abundant country. We live in an abundant time. Um, in the big picture, we're very blessed no matter where, where we are in terms of the world. It's easy to not think that, but it's also when you actually look at it that way, you go, oh, actually, wow. I mean, I just went to Italy and came back in about a two-week period. It took people their whole life to save for that trip. And then they risked their life to do it. And some of them didn't make it. And it took weeks and months. And I live in Northern California, really far away. Mm. So when you think about what people did to go somewhere and to migrate and the things that people did in their lives that allow me to be where I'm born, when I think about that kind of gratitude, all that came before us, the things we've learned from that were not great and the things that we have bettered with. I mean, life is messy, but there's so mm -hmm. many good things. If you look back, you can find them if you, look, if you decide you wanna see them. So that's to me, gratitude is a deep, I try to go deep with gratitude. I don't always do it, but I, loved, I love it when I, when I take the time to do mm -hmm. it.
But I, you know, I want to ask you a question because this is something that comes up a lot around the holidays, including for myself. There are people in our lives that we have conflict with or unresolved issues. We have maybe, um, pertin- we, you know, it's easy to want to throw everything into a personality situation, but it's, it, it often, I don't believe is, I think it's a communication issue. So I wanted to ask you today, uh, Christine, I'm kind of throwing this at you. I did not ask you this before, <laughs> before we got on with our cups of coffee. Do you have your coffee? Cause you're going to need it for this answer. Yeah, I'm <laughs> ready. Give it to me. Okay. And I'm drinking it strong girl. Okay. How do you see the purpose of, and how do you start and what's your take on having difficult conversations that are necessary with people that you love? What do you do with that? And what do you recommend families do with that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're an interventionist. Mm -hmm. You're going into a high conflict situation on a regular basis. You are a warrior girl. (laughs) So, thank you. Um, great question. We can come back. Trying, again, well, you... I'm just trying to think of a succinct way to answer it, but I guess I'll just, you know, roll with it. But I think, you know, the most difficult part of, of hard and painful, vulnerable and honest conversation is reactivity. So I think, you know, one of the great skills of a good communicator is to not be reactive. Mm. And I think that's what makes family relationships so difficult. I do believe wholeheartedly that those conversations have to happen. And either with a professional in the room or a third person in the room to intervene or referee that, um, that reaction is always a possibility. I think also people confuse boundaries with love Mm -hmm. or do do you know what I mean? Like if I set a firm and hard boundary with somebody in my family, like it is totally okay to say to somebody, right? I'm not comfortable spending time with you during the holidays, you know, this year, because this is Mm -hmm. what I'm going through. And people mistake that as cruel, I suppose, or mean. In fact, Mm -hmm. on the contrary, though, it's such a radical act of love to come from a place of self-care. It's such a great example. It sets boundaries Mm -hmm. and it sets a tone in, in a relationship. I think also people forget or don't know that you can have love between two people, right? The love can be unconditional, Mm -hmm. but the relationship is not. The -hmm. relationship has conditions. And if they don't have conditions, they should, Mm -hmm. including with children, right? We talk about unconditional love and sure, you know, love for children is unconditional, but the relationship isn't, and it shouldn't be, Mm -hmm. right? The relationship has expectations. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the expectations that I like, you know, with young children, right. I expect you to be honest, to follow the family rules, to be respectful Mm -hmm. of myself. These are the expectations of our, in our relationship. And if those expectations are not met, then there are consequences for that. And 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 also in adult relationships, right. Absolutely. And expressing those expectations, honestly and clearly are also equally as important. So that's the basis. That's what I'm saying. Loving communication. That's, that's right. 
it's mm -hmm. like an even in marriages, right? The relationship has conditions or it should, right? A commit, a commitment of, of, you know, fidelity, if that's, you know, a value in your relationship, mm -hmm. a commitment of honesty and trust and, and all those things. And if that relationship doesn't meet that, then it needs to end shift or change. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. So I don't know if that answers your question, but well, I, I think th the I best think... way to have hard and difficult conversations is to walk right into it, to set the tone for it. Mm -hmm. Like I always suggest if you, whenever I walk into a hard conversation or I'm working with a client to do so, I always suggest that they set the tone by saying something like, there's something I need to talk to you about. It really isn't easy for me. I'm sure I'm going to fumble my way through it. So I'm going to ask that you just listen until I'm finished. And I'll let you know when that is, right? But mm -hmm. to just listen. And at the end of it, then I'm open to hearing your response, right? But just give me time to fumble my way through it because it's really hard and scary and uncomfortable for me because I love you or I care about you and I care about our relationship. The beautiful thing about setting a, a you know, moving into a conversation like that in that tone is it's very disarming, right? When you lead with an emotion as opposed to a fact, right? When you lead with an emotional foot of vulnerability, it's disarming to the other mm -hmm. person. Right. And when somebody's disarmed, they're typically more accessible. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And and I would add to that, that uncomfortable conversations along those lines. Some people would see those as arguments or um, like, I don't want to do that because I don't want to make things worse between people or whatever. And that's the very thing that needs to happen to resolve the problems that have come up usually by miscommunicating, not because people didn't love each other, but because the communication broke down. And to be able to fix that, you have to be able to be, first of all, be willing to have uncomfortable conversations. Some people would say, well, I don't wanna argue about this or I don't want, well, nobody wants to argue, but you still have to put the information out in front of each other so that you can have the opportunity to understand each other. Otherwise it's never gonna get resolved. That's, that's, that's right. My and, and, you know, in a codependent, I, I like what you said about being willing to kind of walk into the discomfort mm -hmm. in a codependent relationship, the lowest functioning person sets the norm. Yeah. So, right. So the lowest functioning person begins to set the norm. So as communication disintegrates, the whole relationship begins to descend. It's how you end up with low self-esteem mm -hmm. relationships. And the best way to intervene on that is directly. However, it is the most frightening thing for you know, a codependent to do is to do a turnabout phase and walk wide, right into that which they're most afraid or that that they have spent sometimes years like walking around and stepping around like the elephant in the room as they say, right? Mm -hmm. like, that they that you spend all your time trying to manage or control or contain something that you cannot ma manage control and contain right. and so for, for a, a, somebody with codependency or fear of communication and intimacy i do think actually codependency is a fear of intimacy I to walk to to walk right into it to walk right into 
to that which they're most afraid is terrifying because the truth is also right and you know this Elizabeth right sometimes we show up and we tell the truth and people go away yep that is true true. and you know it's that's the risk when you tell the truth people either go away or sometimes even more frightening they come closer right and Mm -hmm. intimacy like I said I think codependency is actually a fear of intimacy which can be almost a greater deterrent than having somebody leave or causing turmoil in a relationship because of truth telling right codependents Mm -hmm. thrive they thrive under you know avoidance yes exactly well the patterns for for people who don't know what codependency is and that is a probably a controversial term in a lot of ways and i definitely want to talk more about the relationship between any kind of dysfunction and the people involved because codependency is referring to in terms of patterns of behavior that are avoidance denial uh compliance Mm -hmm. Uh, low self-esteem. What's the other one? There's, I think there's five of them. Control, controlling. So those are the five patterns of codependency. And so we all play in and out of those at different levels in life. Some people really direct, super self-aware, completely on home base all the time, never have this problem. I'm not one of those people. I have had to work at this. And yeah, it's contrary to everything I was conditioned as a child to do to survive in the world. But part of recovery for me was coming to terms with that abandonment of self for survival. And I came back to it and that is not fun work. That is showing up, saying things about the truth, about emotional honesty and vulnerability that I literally wasn't even capable of putting to words when I first started that work. So not only do a lot of people that we are coming in contact with have addiction issues. The opposite side of that coin is often referred to as the codependency issue. Has that been your experience? I know you've done a whole series on this, but that's sure. Am I getting it right? Is that about right? For sure. Yeah. So those issues come up, especially around times with people around the holidays and You know, it's interesting because I think having the difficult conversation, taking the time to be vulnerable, to speak your truth, to be heard and to be um, and to be able to take it in without reaction and stay present. That is the ultimate act of love. That is saying you are worth showing up for. You're worth going through difficult things for. That's the ultimate statement of love, in my opinion. I agree. Otherwise, you know, a codependent will just blow you off, right? Right. Well, don't need you next. There's right. a lot of people I can go fix over here. <laughs> right. You know, one of my, my, a client of mine, which I will never forget, um, and I still appreciated him. So when he'd come into my office or he'd be in group or, you know, around our sober living, and I would ask him, you know, how he was feeling, he would... And I love this. He would sit in the chair, actually that chair in my office. And like, he would sit up straight and put his feet on the ground, like ground himself, you know, hold on Mm -hmm. to the chair, put his feet on the ground. He would close his eyes and say to himself, how am I feeling? And he'd take a moment of deep reflection and consideration. And what I loved about it, Elizabeth, is that it made 
me feel valuable. Mm. It was interesting and super unexpected. It mm. made me feel important because he was taking time to really tell me how he was and to really acknowledge, I don't know, it was so cool. I've, I've never in 25 years had a client do that. It was super exceptional and I, I loved it. And he would do it in my relapse prevention group. He would do, when we all go around and check in, he would do the same thing. And the group members would say the same thing. Like what, what an amazing thing to really honor somebody's presence and question, right? It was so respectful of me, like that he really wanted to show up for me and he really wanted to answer the question I think that is how he was I know isn't that cool I I, well I I learned a lot from him I love that story for a couple of reasons first of all that's I just love I love that story that is a fabulous story I actually have another we talked about our gratitude practice I have a practice that when I first started working on my codependency issues because I I had I I would say that was some yeah. of the hardest work I've done in recovery. And I, started, I agree. Oh my God. I started good, I agree. probably about 12, 15 years ago, but the last, I would say even the last couple of years, I'm coming into more of a, I, I have a pretty high level of awareness of where that is for me. And, and just so I want to make a statement here for anyone who is just realizing, oh, I probably have some of those patterns and I'm starting to recognize it get a group, find a group, find a professional, find somebody who is an expert in that area. It is not easy territory. I I really strongly suggest you don't go into that territory without some real guidance. There's some wonderful books on it. I know you Mm -hmm. have some literature out there, some, some uh, series that you've done on it. It is a really important territory and it is hard work. It is so worth it. One of the practices that I developed out of my deep work in, in what we would call codependent patterns of behavior um, was a practice I call, I think I feel I need. This changed my life. I started doing this and I, this is in my journal as well. I do this, especially when I have a problem, any kind of surface, something's coming up to the surface, making me feel uncomfortable, but I do it as a daily practice because I was so trained out of it as a child that I had to learn how to do it again as an adult. And that is, I did not know what I thought because I grew up in a family. People didn't care what you thought. There was nine kids in my family. I was in the middle of nine kids. There's yeah. I mean, it's competitive, right? So they don't care what you think. And it didn't matter. So I stopped kind of like being in contact with that. I didn't, if you felt something and it was emotional, that was a lot of work for a big family like that. Plus it was addiction issues Mm -hmm. and all kinds of stuff. So I got trained out of knowing what I felt. And then how can you find, how can you get your need met in a healthy way? If you don't know what you think and you don't know how you feel, you feel, and it's not connected how could you possibly show up honestly in a relationship and ask the other person across the table and say, you know what I really need from this relationship and understanding, you know what I need? I need to express to you what I need in this relationship. How could you do that if you don't know? So I started practicing this and it took me quite a while 
to start recognizing this. I, I'm doing a whole thing on this. I'm doing a whole journal on this project because that was such a powerful tool. So I love your story because that shows me, to me, the ultimate self-care is to check in and spend time with yourself and say, what do I think, Elizabeth? What does Elizabeth think? What do you think, Elizabeth? How do I, what do you feel? How do mm -hmm. I feel? Mm -hmm. And what do I need? And then to say to the person across the street, the table from me, what do you think? How do you feel? And what do you need? That's right. That's a powerful conversation. Mm, that's a, I do something similar like that in group. I love that you mentioned. So in family, an unhealthy family systems or, yeah unhealthy family systems, addiction or codependency driven. Mm -hmm. um, there are five freedoms that, you know, every child should have the rights to. And I love that you talked about them without maybe even knowing specifically that you talked about them. But the five freedoms are, I'm allowed to see what I see, hear what I hear, feel what I feel, want what I want, and hear what I hear. Did I say that? Mm -hmm. Is it no? It's the fifth one, no. See, hear. See, hear, feel, want. That was the one. That's want it. and need. Yes. Right? And so in like, it, for example, in families of addiction, those five freedoms are violated consistently. All the time. Right? That you're not, right? Number one rule of addiction is you're not allowed to trust it, talk about it, or trust, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, trust or tell the truth about it, mm -hmm. right? Which are violating, especially for young, young children. And mm -hmm. so what happens to children that grow up in families where the five freedoms are violated is they grow up with low self-esteem. They learn to turn their intuition down. And you spoke to that so beautifully, mm -hmm. right? They have to turn their intuition down because in a family of addiction, children vibrate with, you know, that feeling that this isn't okay and something isn't right. And they learn to adapt exceptionally well, walking on eggshells, managing the chronic stress in a family by acting out or being different ways, yes. yeah? or getting their needs met outside the home through their own addictions or, or pregnancy or run, running away or whatever, right? So then, so the children turn that, that sweet little intuition down and then they grow up and they go out into the world and it's impossible to navigate the world if you don't trust yourself right right and without that intuition that has been numbed yeah for years it's been turned down right? so it's been turned right. down so much and then the ego and the inner critic and the inner wounded inner child is what is going on in the head of the adult person who was raised with those violations and so those so of course that's painful because you're, you're not operating, not, not that the ego, the inner child, and the inner critic, those are in everybody, but they're just so turned on so loud. Mm -hmm. There's no That's information right. coming in through that intuition. And the intuition is the answer to all the problems that the ego is telling right. you about. So the ego keeps you in your comfort zone. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's, but when you're outside of your comfort zone, it can make you live a very small life if you want to grow. So there's a lot to that. I did, I did a podcast all, I do a lot of work on intuitional work. I, through the pandemic, I, I got certified in a bunch of different coaching modalities because I see so many people struggle with this and I love language and it was part of that. And, and I also, you know, I'm always looking for growth myself. So this is an area I've done just a lot of wonderful 
um, I've benefited from wonderful work that's been done on this subject, but I think it's so critical to show up as healthy as I can be today. The most loving thing I can do for my family members and for myself is to know what I think, take the time to I think, what do I think? Thoughts are thoughts, feelings are feelings. I used to, when I first started this, I'd go, I think I feel. <laughs> okay, well, what do you actually think? What was the thought that made that feeling happen? And then when I think this and I feel this, what do I do? Ah, there's the problem. Mm-hmm. When I start to look at that unconscious link, that linking up, and I have this unwanted behavior pattern that's giving me unwanted results. When I go back and start looking at that, I can say, well, what else could this mean? Because thoughts based on what we see here feel, I know. And if that's been disabled because it wasn't convenient, or it wasn't, um, nobody else wanted to deal with it because it was an ugly truth or whatever going on in family of origin, we learn to go into denial. And we do that before we have words Mm. in a lot of families. You know, so, so such important work to unravel that. Mm -hmm. I've seen it beautifully. I made a lot of mistakes as a parent. Oh, me too. But one thing, right? (laughs) <laughs> I tell my kids all the time, my my love for you is perfect, but my parenting is far from it. But <laughs> one thing I always tried to do, and I think I did it well, and I think I think I did it well, not perfect, but and I think I continue to do it well, which is to honor my children's freedoms, their their freedoms of of thought and feeling and needs and wants and mm-hmm. and words and. I think I've done, I think I've done a good job being aware of that and honoring them, not writing their stories with my Mm -hmm. story, like when my daughter came home intoxicated or whatever, Mm -hmm. right, that that I didn't, I don't know what I'm trying to say, I just, I think I've done a good job allowing them to become, instead of me trying to manage or Mm -hmm. control that or contain it, I, I think. And that's a real gift of recovery that I've been able to raise my children with recovery, honoring themselves, knowing who they are, knowing what they feel, being Mm -hmm. brave enough to make decisions, to make mistakes, to do it all, to live fully and completely, not managing that, protecting them too much, right? Not overprotecting Mm -hmm. them, not underprotecting them, but really allowing them to become who they are. I think, I, I think I've done, I think I've done a good job with that. Mm-hmm. Certainly the best job I could, but I've parented it, right? And maybe that's awareness and I'm sure you can relate, right? It's a real gift oh, of recovery that I'm- I, I think here, here's my little saying about that. And I have made, a, right. I, I love what you said about my love for you is perfect. My parenting, not so much. The thing is though, is my parenting evolved as I did. And I think that's probably true. The most loving thing I have done for anyone in my life was evolve my own recovery. And and I haven't abandoned myself. You know, uh, Pia Melody is somebody that I've done Mm -hmm. a lot of reading on it. Her, if you are looking for some good books on this content, um, I, she, it's not, it's not easy reading, but it's powerful. Mm -hmm. It's powerful awareness work is what it really is. She talks about, Child abuse is anything that's less than nurturing. 
Mm. And I love that. Now, was did I do things that were less than nurturing? Yes, I did. Um, I know we got to get going here in a minute, but I just love our conversation. So I, I'm glad. No, no, it was okay. I was just there. looking. It's so funny you mentioned PM Melody because I have on my desk here um, the language of letting go, but I also have facing love addiction. Oh, yeah. And, by PM, and I was laughing when you said it's not easy because that book blew my fucking mind. Sorry for swearing, <laughs> but it was the most difficult read mm. maybe of my career. And certainly my personal, re- I mean, I had to read like two pages at a time and I had to read them each like 10 times. Like, like <laughs> what the work fuck is, is happening here? <laughs> like, it just completely deconstructed my life in a matter of 40 pages. And so I had that book in here and I always tell my clients when I lend it out or I lend it out cautiously because I'm not sure if it's super manageable in early recovery. Oh yeah. I would, I would agree with that. I have not read that book. So, but I have done a lot of, (laughs) you have to suffer through it. You have to suffer through it. It's awful. I'm definitely going to, it's so awful for punishment. You know, it's like, I'm writing that one down. The thing about, I've read a lot of her other work and here's the thing that's so important to know about this. Uh, all the stuff we're talking about, this is the foundational stuff of your, of your defense mechanisms. And you're talking about moving them into a healthy, really rebuilding the house from the foundation up. And of course you have to take care of active addiction. I think first, or maybe start it simultaneously. None of this is possible without physical sobriety. In my opinion, you can't really get anywhere because that's the ultimate avoidance pattern. Um, but I can tell you that, you know, I always say this about kids and I'm going to let you go because I, I want to have time integrity with, uh, with you. And I know you've got somewhere to go, but I wanted to, I'm so glad we're taking the time to talk about this. And I'm sure we will talk about stuff like this more. Um, I can't give my kids a perfect world and I can't give them a perfect me. I can only give them what I've got and I can't not give them what I am. So I have to be working on myself all the time. And the most loving thing to do is to work on myself in any relationship, always looking at how am I showing up? Am I in integrity with what I want to be? And I'm going to stay present for all the uncomfortable conversations that might happen. I just was writing down what you said. That was so great that you you can only, right. That you can only give what you you got, But what was the other part? But you can't give what you don't have, but you you can't give what you don't have. So I don't have a perfect world to give my children. Right. right. I don't have a perfect me to give you. I can only give you the imperfect me. And I can't not give what I am. I can't show up with all my flaws. I can't get rid of my flaws fast enough as a human being to be the perfect parent for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay in the process of recovery and show you the example of a, a human evolution. All right. I'm going to invite them to do the same thing. I love that. I talk about that, of course, all the time, right? That we can't transmit something that you don't have. You yeah. cannot transmit something that you do not have. So you can't raise your children with what you don't have. I love that. But I really yeah. liked what you talked, what you said <laughs> about that. But also... You can only give what you are. 
right? Yeah, that's and you can't, way to look at yeah, that, and you right? can't not give it. That's the that's part, right. That's the part, the stuff we don't like about ourselves that right. we don't even know is the problem, especially when we're young and young parenting, right? You're trying to do everything perfect and you're doing the best you can with what you have, but you're also showing up with all the stuff that you don't even know you don't want. And you're going to see it in the children in front of you real quick. You that's know how the mirror is, right? You know what the shitty thing about parenting is? <laughs> is I feel like once I figured it out, it was over. I mean, not that it's not that it's ever over. Don't get me wrong. It's not that yeah, it's ever exactly. over. But like, as soon as I figure out how to have a 17-year-old, she's 18. And as soon as I figure out how to have an 18-year-old, she's 19. That's the shitty thing about parenting is by oh, the time it, oh, you yeah. figure it out, there's something else. Like they're they're a different age. When it's I so crazy. when my first grandchild was born, and yes, I'm a Gigi, I'm a I'm a Gigi mama. When my first grandchild was born, the thought that went through my head, I my son will probably hear this. I thought, wow, there's Der- that my son. I won't say his name. There's my son's other set of teachers. See, my parents were my teachers. They were not mm-hmm. my enemy. They were doing absolutely wonderful love. And yeah, they brought all of it with them. That's that was what they had to give me. Yeah. And most of it was good. Right. And some of okay. it was really lacking. Right. And it was probably, now I get and it, it was lacking for them too. And it was lacking for them too. That's yeah. where they learned it. Right. I so they couldn't it. give me what they didn't have. Right. Sometimes, well, like when my husband came well, up, I don't know. We don't need to end on suicide, but when my husband died, I just felt so impotent as a parent to help my children. Mm-hmm. And now I get it, right? Like you can only, I don't know. We just learn so fast and hard as parents, but it's just funny. You know, now my kids are 19 and 21 and I'm obviously still parenting for sure. And actually raising adults is a little bit more difficult than oh. raising kids. Oh, but I don't we know, I, right? Oh, that's okay. We're going to have that conversation next week. Like I thought, okay, I just, I'll end with this. I thought when my kids got to be young adults, like that's my, like, that's my population. Right? Like, like I, I don't do like little kids and like arts and crafts and shit. I'd rather poke my eyes out, but you give me emotional problems and I'm in, right? Same here. So I thought like, all I got to do is get my kids to like 18, 19, 20. Well, holy shit. I had no idea that oh, raising yeah. adults, like getting them from 18 to like adultism, whatever that is, is really, really scary and really, really hard. Well, and you it know, makes- from the minute. From the minute we gave birth, Christina, we started letting go. It it never ends. It never ends. And here's the beautiful thing about it. And I'm going to end on this one. I'm still learning. I am so happy that I'm still learning. God, isn't that awesome? I love them and I'm present enough to learn. And yeah, life is messy. I have a little bumper sticker. I'm going to end with this. Life is the school, love is the lesson. Mm, I love that. And I imagine too. I imagine that. 
with the parenting thing, how we're always learning. I imagine. And then just when you figure that shit out, they go and have grandbabies. They have and babies. I, right? And you see what <laughs> you it again. Uh-huh. And here's what's funny. You see all the stuff you got right. Right. And you see all the stuff they're fixing because you didn't get it right. And you right. go, oh, that's why I said that's right. the other set of teachers. So the parents are the, your parents are your teachers. Your children are your other set of teachers. I have not learned more. I've learned all the things I needed to learn to get me where I am today because I was willing to show up in love for both groups of people. And then we take that out into the world. And yeah, what a beautiful gift that is. So I'm going to end on gratitude and love. I love you. Thank you so much. I'll see you next month. I love our conversations. And uh, yeah, take care. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. You too, Elizabeth. Bye-bye.